It's an honor and a blessing to be here. I'm going to take my hat off. I thought I was going to be outside, keep the sun off. But it's an honor and a blessing to be here tonight among God's people. When I say God's people, believe me, I sincerely mean that because there are some people I call church people. But you are God's people. And I've had the opportunity to meet a lot of you today, all of your pastors, uh, Becky and Zoe and Elizabeth, Laura, Pastor Shim, a lot of people. And the Spirit of the Lord is definitely in them and in this place. And I feel so good about it. Yes. Mm -hmm. When I come, the first thing I do, I want to check out the people because if God sent me to give a message, then I need to feel that spirit. We need to join. And we have joined tonight, and hopefully we're going to join some more tonight with God's message. But before I get started, I would love to have a prayer. So let us bow our heads, please. Most gracious and ever-loving God, you are so awesome. You're so great. Words, Lord, cannot describe or say what I, we want to say. Our hearts just cannot express enough love for you. You're so great. You're so loving. So we thank you, Lord. We thank you. We give you honor, glory, and praise. We just thank you for being an ever-presence in our lives. Sometimes we are not where you are, so help us. Help us now. Have mercy on our souls so that we may receive your word with meekness. And that will be a lamp unto our feet and a light unto our path. Now may the words of my mouth and the meditations of my heart be acceptable in your sight, O Lord, for you are our strength and you are our redeemer. In Jesus' name, amen. My story is about God taking control, and of course, my wife's life was taken. And so my story begins with her, the most precious, loving wife, partner, and friend that God sent into my life, somebody I prayed for, who I cherished and loved. She was a teacher, a counselor, a minister, but the greatest of her gift was giving. She looked beyond people's faults. She looked beyond the drama, and she saw people's needs. And she never pursued anything, not one thing to gain status or money, fame, or fortune for herself. Everything my accomplished was for the benefit of serving and meeting the needs of her students, her family, her church, and her community. So I lost someone very dear, so did the city of Charleston, and so did Emmanuel Amy Church. On June 17, 2005, she was teaching a Bible study lesson from St. Mark, fourth chapter, entitled The Parable of the Sower. And while she was teaching, a young white male named Dylan Roof walked into Emmanuel Church, sat down, listened to the Bible study, and prayed with them. And then as Bible study came to an end and they prayed again. He murdered my wife, Myra, and eight other people because of the color of their skin. 
I'll never forget that night when I got home. I wanted to be there. And that's the strange thing about it. Because my wife and I, we went everywhere together. Even though she was an AME and I was Reformed Episcopalian, we knew we served the same God. <laughs> you know? And we just had joy doing that. And I wanted to be there because this was going to be her first Bible study, lesson why she's pursuing a ministry in the AME church. And for some reason, I opened my mouth. I should not have opened my mouth because normally it's just, you know, we know we're going to be with each other, especially if someone is participating in an event. And I just told her, I said, well, I'm coming. And she said, no, you're not. And we went on for about five minutes back and forth. And like all wives, you know, they know what button to punch on their husband. And she pushed the right button. She says, you need to go to your church because we're, you're having vacation Bible school and the lady's going to have a lot of drama. You need to be there. <laughs> yeah. And I, I, I kind of laughed too. I was like, what? what? But they did. They had a lot of drama. <laughs> and I couldn't get away. I was trying to get there. But when I got home, I received a phone call and was told, Reverend Thompson, you need to get to Emmanuel Church because there's some shooting going on around at the church. So I'm thinking there's some shooting going on, like she said, around the church. I dropped the phone. I ran out house, didn't lock the door, sped down to Calhoun Street. And I was like one of the first people on the scene because we only lived like five minutes away. And so after searching and searching and searching and trying to find out what's going on, police officer told me they took everybody out of the church and put them into a hotel. And so that was a sigh of relief, and I'm like, thank God. However, when I went the opposite way, I got out of my car, and I was just running. I saw nine ambulances parked in a service station strategically, no lights, nobody inside. And I'm like, this police officer didn't tell me everything. So I'm running to the hotel. I run inside, and I saw Sister Polly Shepard. She was one of the survivors. She was one of the persons that... Gunman came up to her and held a gun in her face and said, I'm, did I shoot you yet? And she said, no. He said, well, I'm not going to kill you. I'm going to let you live to tell the story. His intention was to kill himself, but he ran out of bullets. And so I saw her, and she was crying. I mean, and I looked to my left, and I saw Felicia Sanders, another survivor, and her granddaughter, and they were just wrapped up into each other. And I'm wondering, where's my wife? And so when I turned back to my left and I... Felicia Sanders looked at me. She said, she said, Anthony, my was gone. Now, I couldn't get that, accept that right away. So I'm thinking, yeah, I'll wait until she gets back. And she said, no, she's gone. I said, I said you already told me. I'll just wait until she gets back. And she said, no, like she's gone. You know, it was hard to accept. Didn't want to accept it. So I ran out the hotel, and I laid my head on the flower bed, and I'm looking at the church because the church is directly across the street from the hotel. I'm trying to figure out how am I going to get in there? You know, just a few hours, maybe just an hour or two had just gone by. So I ran. I took off running. I don't know how I got past DEA, SLED, you know, first responders. I mean, it was just crowded, but somehow I got past them. I got to the gate of the church, and the gate is adjacent to the door where everybody was coming in coming in and out, and I just knew I was going to get in there. I was going to see my wife. I was going to be there for her. I just knew, you know, 
she was going to be okay. And somebody snatched me, grabbed me. And we tussled for a while because I was determined to get in there. And five, it took five people to hold me down. I'm just a little bitty or something here. Well, not so much a little bitty, but I'm little. <laughs> and I wanted to know what was going on. What's, what's going on in there? Nobody could tell me anything. And so after trying to find out what's going on, asking all these questions, and the only answer I was getting, I can't tell you. We don't know. And so I figured either she was already dead or she was wounded and suffering. And that bothered me a lot because if she was either one, it just bothered me. But I came to the conclusion she must be because the last thing I asked him, I said, well, are people still in there? He said, yes. I said, well, why can't they come out? He said, I can't tell you. I was like, oh, boy, here we go again. And I knew. I was an agent for 27 years, so I knew something had gone wrong. Just didn't know what it was. And I just lost it. I mean, I just, you know, and I, as far as I know, I never lost it before. I mean, I just, I couldn't control myself. I just fell in the street and on the pavement. And I just started walling, like I'm walling in dirt like a little child. And I just started crying. And I just cried. And all I can say is, you know, I don't know what to do. That's all I can say. And I could, just all night, I don't know what to do. I, I felt like I had no more purpose, you know. And here I am, a pastor of a church. First thing that came to my mind was, I said, I guess I'll be leaving the church now. No reason to be a pastor anymore. You know, my work is done because for me, especially at that time, she was my life. You know, everything I did was for her. And so, but I heard this voice, and it wasn't a very mild voice, say, get up. And so I'm looking up thinking it was one of the first responders. And I'm like, why are they being so harsh? My God, Jesus, I'm down here wallowing on the ground, crying like a baby, and somebody says, get up. And then I heard it again, so I looked, and I didn't see anybody. Then the third time I heard it, I'm like, you've got to be kidding. That's God. You've got to be kidding. You're going to tell me, get up? I mean, it's so harsh. I mean, he was harsh. It wasn't like, Anthony, this is the Lord. Fear not. I'll lift you up off the ground. No, it wasn't like that. It was like, get up. And so I'm getting up. I'm like, why are you being so mean? You know? Gosh, man, really? I don't even want to hear what you have to say. Get up. I'm not getting up. I'm staying right here. You know? And he just taunted me. And he, and he, first thing he reminded me, he reminded me of some of the messages that I delivered to my congregation. And I was like, I don't want to hear that. You know, I'm glad you were listening, but I don't want to hear that right now. <laughs> you know? You know? I don't hear anything you have to say. Just leave me alone. Let, let me stay down here and wall up my, you know, let me do this. But he wouldn't leave me alone. And he reminded me of those sermons that I used to preach telling my congregation that if you had a mother, father, sister, brother, husband, or wife, son, or daughter, and they died unexpectedly. Now, who would think that would happen to me, right? Unexpectedly. And you cherish them more than you cherish the Lord. What would you do? And I'm like, man, you got to be kidding. Really? That's what you're going to tell me right now? You're going to remind 
Okay, put me to the test. And I remembered. And it haunted me. And the first thing I can remember, I said, you know what? I don't really feel like this, but I need to get back to my congregation. Yeah, they need to know I'm okay so that they'll be okay. You know, and I realized I had to set the example. As a man of God, as a pastor, I had to show my congregation that I practice what I preach. But it was hard. It was hard. And I was like, why are you testing me like this? You know? I really don't need it. I didn't want to hear it. I didn't want to hear anything he had to say. But there I was in the same situation that I preached to my congregation. So what am I supposed to do? I got up. I got up. And as a man of God, I'm saying to myself, I need to let my congregation know, in spite of me losing my wife, we have to continue to live for, believe in, and trust God. We've got to do it. You know? You know, when tragedy, trials and tribulations happen in your life, first thing you got to do is get up. I know that. You know? Get up. And there's nobody who can lift you up, nobody who can lift you up like the Lord. So you have to go to him. You have to believe and trust that God is still in control, that he has a plan. He has a plan to turn your tragedy, your trial, your tribulation, or whatever it is that's happening bad in your life. God has a plan to bring something good out of that. He does. And as I got up, I stopped crying uncontrollably. And before I knew it, God had control of me. God had control of me, and God's plan began to unfold. His plan to bring good out of that tragedy began to unfold. But at that time, I didn't understand that. I didn't know that. Because he was still taunting me, like I was in the seminary or something. He's like, okay, I got some scripture for you. I'm like, what? Oh, man, no, 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 no. First of all, you say, get up. Now you want to give me scripture. Now you want to comfort me. Okay. But it wasn't very comforting because the scripture he gave me was St. Luke, the 17th chapter, first through the six verses. And of course, I didn't read it right away, but I went home later on that morning when I got home because I stayed there all night, just about got home that morning. And I read it. I'm like, okay, what are you talking about? And it says things that cause people to stumble are bound to come. It's going to come, y'all. He says, but woe to anyone through whom it comes it would be better for them to throw into, be thrown into the sea with a millstone tied around their neck than to cause one of these little ones to stumble. And so I'm like, oh, so you think I'm going to stumble in my faith. Okay, that's what you think. And somebody said it today really good. I think her name was Liz or Linda. She said, well, yeah, duh. <laughs> that's what he was telling you, yes. And he was. But then it went on and said, so watch yourselves. And I'm like, watch myself? Huh, Okay. It says, even if they sin against you 70 times and come back and repent and say, forgive me 70 times, you got to forgive them. And I don't even think about forgiveness. I'm like, well, why are you telling me this? Heck, who, who am I, I going to forgive? You know, just who's going to be? Because first of all, they didn't know who did it. You know, it was maybe later on that day that they found out who really did it. So I didn't know who did it. I didn't care who did it. Didn't want to know who did it. I was still thinking about my wife. I was still, I was trying to mourn, you know. I was trying to weep, and God just wouldn't leave me alone, you know. 
He just kept coming back. And so I'm trying to figure out, well, okay. You know, in that scripture, I discovered God was telling me, Anthony, don't, don't, don't let what Dylan did to your wife cause you to stumble. I said, okay, I got it. You see, Dylan wanted to start a race war. He wanted, that's why he picked the church he picked, and that's why he picked the color of about skin he picked. I mean, he went on a, a, he did research. He went all around Charleston. He must have been to Charleston a hundred times. I mean, they know everywhere he went, when he was there, how long he's been there, how long he was doing. He planned the whole thing. So his intentions was to start a race war. So he thought he'd pick the right church, right people, right time. You see? And the devil wanted me to be mad at him. Wanted me to be bitter and angry. Angry enough to do something stupid to make that race war happen. That's what he wanted. But God was saying to me, don't let it cause you to be bitter. Don't let that cause you to hate him enough to want to take revenge. Lord said, I got your back. I'll take care of Dylan. Revenge is mine, saith the Lord. Forgive him. So I can release you from your madness, your anger, your bitterness, your sadness, your hate. Forgive him so that I can give you this peace that I'm holding for you. You see, there are things that's going to happen in your life. It's going to cause you to stumble. They're going to come unexpectedly. You're not going to be ready for it. You're not going to be waiting for it. You may have been sexually, physically abused by someone. Someone may, someone may hate you or mistreated you because of the color of your skin, your creed, or your status in life. It's just going to happen. Some people are going to try to hurt you. Your life, your wife may cheat on you. The husband may cheat on the wife. Someone may have killed your loved one like he killed mine. Somebody may have lied about you. You see, things are going to happen to cause you to stumble, cause you to hate, cause you to hold grudges, cause you to want to kill somebody, cause you to be violent and want to take revenge. It's going to happen. Look what's happening in our world today. These people who are shooting and killing people, they're hurt. Somebody hurt them, so they want to hurt somebody back. Mm. You don't want to be one of them. Tonight, God is telling you what he told me. Don't let the wrong that someone did to you cause you to stumble. Don't let it happen. Forgive them. You understand? Because if you let them cause you to stumble, if you let them cause you to hate, to hold a grudge, to want to kill somebody, to get violent, take revenge, it's only going to make your life miserable. Not theirs. Dylan's in jail, and he still expressed no remorse. So if I got angry at him and hated him and want to take revenge, then, then whose life is miserable? <laughs> Mine's. He doesn't care. You understand? The Bible says that the more you plot and wish harm to those who did you wrong, the more harm you bring into your own life. And it's so true. So true. You have to forgive them. Let me tell you what unforgiveness is like, and you probably know, you probably heard this expression. Unforgiveness is like you taking a bottle of poison and you drink it, and you expect somebody else to die. Yeah. So who's miserable? Who's dead? You. You. So it's better to what? Forgive. You say, hating on others, trying to get people back for what they did to you will only destroy you. Your heart is wounded. Your life is in pain and you are burdened. You cannot heal by doing evil with evil. You just can't. 
You will never have peace if you, if you try to get it by holding a grudge or, or trying to get revenge or, or just trying to hurt somebody. You'll never have peace because the Bible says, Galatians says in the 6th chapter, 7th verse, for whatsoever a man soweth, what? That shall he also reap. So you, you sow evil, you get evil. You know, you sow a grudge, you get a grudge. All the time you kill yourself. But little did I know that the scripture God gave me was preparing me to forgive Dylan. I had no idea at the time that God was about to release me from my pain, my anguish, and grant me some peace. I didn't know. I was just like any other person, like any other sinner. Duh. God, leave me alone. I don't want to hear you. Let me pat myself on the back and pity myself. That's what I wanted. Little did I know that he wanted to release me from my anguish. You see, my heart and life was wounded. I was burdened. It was hard. And God, all he wanted to do was heal me. And I'm saying, leave me alone. I don't want to hear what you got to say. You know, and God wants to heal your wounded heart. He wants to relieve you of your burden. But you have to forgive. Most important of all, Jesus told his disciples, St. Matthew, 6th chapter, Jesus says, for if you forgive men their trespasses, your heavenly Father will also forgive you. But, oh, there's a condition. If you forgive not men their trespasses, neither will your Father forgive you your trespasses. So if you want God to forgive you, you have to do what? So what are you going to do? Hey, smart answer. <laughs> Mount answer. Because that's what I did. I forgave Dylan. Two days after the Emmanuel tragedy, Dylan Roof, the young man who killed my wife and eight other people at Emmanuel AME Church, had a bond hearing. I didn't want to go to no bond hearing. I didn't even know he was having a bond hearing. My daughter and son came to me and said, Father, they're having a bond hearing for Dylan today. I was like, who's that? Dylan? Who's Dylan? You know, I'm trying to figure out what's, because I was an agent for 27 years. I took many people to bond hearings, and they go to a bond hearing, the magistrate sets the bond to determine whether they get released or, or go back to jail. And they go back to their cell. I'm like, we're not going to that. I'm not going to give him, I'm, I'm not going to be there for him for that mess. I'm not going. Little did I know, that's what God wanted me to do. Because, see, I didn't have Dylan on my mind. All I can think about was my wife. That's all I was thinking about. You know, I just, I just couldn't shake it. But my children wanted to go. And my daughter, who's the baby, even though she's 36 years old, she's still a baby. You all, you will be the baby anyway. I don't care how old you get, you will be the baby, okay? <laughs> and she came to me, she said, well, Father, I understand. I understand what you're going through. If you don't want to go, then I won't go. I'm like, oh, Jesus. Yeah. <laughs> I said, well, let me put, get out of my pajamas, because I already put my pajamas on. I wasn't going. And I said, we're going, but keep your mouths closed. Don't say one word. And I was very adamant about it. And they were looking at me like, he's serious. And my other son is like 40-something years old. Yeah, they still children. I, you know, they get punished. <laughs> oh, yeah. They still get punished. Yeah. You know, so when I gave them that look, they were like, oh, he's, he's business. Yes, he's serious. I said, because if you open your mouth, whatever you say, you're going to hear it again. I say, and if it's the wrong thing, 
when they come to me, I say, oh, that wasn't my child. I don't know her. <laughs> well, you got the wrong person. So I told him, keep your mouths closed. And I said, we're going to sit down. We're going to stay a few minutes, and we're going. And we went. And we sat down. And I was looking at my watch as I'm sitting down. And I'm saying, remember now, we're not going to be here long. They're looking at me. My, my daughter said, well, we hadn't even sat down yet. I said, that's how fast we're going to get out of here. <laughs> and Nadine, the young lady you saw on the screen, she was the first one to speak. She said, Lord, have mercy on your soul, and I forgive you. And by the time she was getting to the, I forgive you, I told my children, I said, okay, when Nadine sits down, we're leaving, because I don't have anything to say. And y'all certainly don't have anything to say. And then the magistrate came, and he said, is there anybody here in Myra Thompson family who wants to say something? I said, he's kidding, right? <laughs> oh, Jesus, this is not going to happen today. I look at my kids. I said, don't stand up. Y'all not saying anything. And while I'm saying this, going through these changes again, don't want to hear from God, that same voice again said, get up. <laughs> and I'm like, oh, my gosh, you kidding me. Again? Man, <laughs> you're trying to crucify me with this get up stuff. I mean, I was like, really? But I got up. I was obedient. You see, I know that voice. You know, and that's one reason why I was a little obedient that night at the tragedy, because that same voice came to me when I was seven years old and said, you're going to be a preacher. And I said, no, I'm not. <laughs> well, you saw who won that battle. He wins them all. And so I got up, and I'm walking to the podium, and I'm saying, now, Lord, you better come on, because I don't have nothing to say. Don't embarrass me now, because I don't have nothing to say. I want to get up there and go, and they're like, could you speak a little louder? And on my way up there, man, he convicted me like I don't know what. God, geez, the Holy Spirit just came and said, you're a sinner too. I'm like, what? A sinner? Yeah, I know that. I don't need you to tell me that. And so I'm thinking, okay, I'm a sinner. Dylan's a sinner. I did some things wrong in my life. He murdered my wife. I said, but yeah, I am a sinner. And so I'm thinking, and before I knew it, I'm saying, son, I forgive you. My family forgives you. But we would like you to take this opportunity to repent. Confess, repent, give your life to the one who means the most to Christ. And when I said Christ, he lifted his head up and just gave me a little glance. That's something I forgot to tell you. God told me to make sure I get his attention. I'm trying to figure out how you do you do that. But God knew what he was talking about because he lifted his head up. And he gave me the little glance. I'm like, he heard me. You know? And then I said, so that he can change you, change your ways. And no matter what happens to you, you will be okay. I said, you do that, and you will be better off than you are right now. And I started walking away. But God didn't let me get too far. My body just started trembling and shaking. I asked my kids, did you see me shaking? They said, no, you weren't shaking. I said, yes, I was. They said, no, you weren't. I said, I know I was. You know? And all I can remember is it was just like Dylan and I were the only two people in the room. And I'm looking at him, and I'm shaking, and just stuff is just leaving me. 
I can feel it leaving my shoulders all through, going through my hands. And the next thing I know, I'm light as a feather. I mean, light as a feather. The anger, the hate, the malice, the want to get you back. Even the sadness of the felt loss of my wife, it was gone. God freed me, y'all. He freed me. He freed me. He freed my soul, my heart, my mind of the burden, bitterness, anger, and hate. He healed me from the inside out. I'm telling you. Peace of God that surpasses all understanding. It is real. It's real. And I thought, and I never doubted it wasn't real because I preached about it and I know I gave my church a good sermon about it and they had that peace when they left that Sunday. And I know I had that peace when I went, you know, I know, but I didn't, we didn't have it. We did not have it. Because what I felt was something that I never felt before. And I still feel it today. And it's that same peace that sustains me. That same peace that enabled me to move forward in my life. That same peace that had me in front of you telling you what God wants you to hear. Because he wants you to have the same peace it's so easy. You know, I mean, it, it's just so easy. It's real. And, and, and just like I was trying to keep God out of my life, don't want him to say anything, especially scripture, didn't want to hear that, you know, because of what I was going through. But I don't care what you're going through. You got to let him in. Because it's for you. He loves you. He loves you. And he wants to do it for you. So don't ever run him away. Never. And I'm glad I didn't. I'm glad I didn't run him away. You know, I mean, that peace is every day. Every day. I've got it right now. I mean, it just never lets you go. It's so real. You know, I'm at the place now where, you know, when, we, when we're talking, well, when I'm talking, because God let me, he'll let me vent, then he'll say, okay, you're done. And, okay, go ahead and do that anyway. <laughs> you know? And so I'm to the point now where I, I think twice before I start talking to him again. Because what I didn't tell you, before I started spreading this gospel, when I walked away in that peace, second thing he came, he said, okay, you got a new mission. Spread the gospel of forgiveness. And I was like, nah, that's not going to happen. Nah, nah, you pushing it now. You know, Jesus, let me mourn. I mean, you won't let me mourn. The news reporters won't let me mourn. Nobody lets me mourn. Nobody wants me to cry. I mean, what is this? You know, Jesus, let me cry. But here I am. So you know who won that battle? I mean, he's just so real. Now, when he calls me, I'm like, okay, how high you want me to jump? You know, we're not going through this anymore. Just how high you want me to jump. I'm willing because I know with him in control, I have nothing to worry about. I can make it through the day one day at a time, you know, because it's happening. Let me tell you something about forgiveness. My grand, when I was, a, when I was young, I'm still young, y'all. Not as young as y'all. 
Well, when I was your age, what's your name? The one in the purple. Natty? When I was your age, they used to dump us off to my grandmama. My dad was in the military, and they'd take us. We were living in Virginia. They'd run us down to Charleston and say, here they come, y'all. Poop. And then they'd go back. And every time they did that, my grandfather had a gift for me. And so I didn't mind going. I just didn't want to stay. After I get the gift, I wanted to leave. But, you know, they were already gone. And so this particular time, he gave me a slingshot. And I'm like, oh, man. I went outside, and I'm just shooting everything. Bird, squirrel, dog, deer, tree. I'm just having a ball, missing everything. Didn't hit nothing. Walking back to the house, I look at my grandfather's bull behind the, behind the fence. I said, oh, I could get him. See, Miss him, too. <laughs> so I got disgusted. I'm walking back to the house doing this. And I forgot I had a rock still in a slingshot. For those who don't know what a slingshot is, especially the millennials, <laughs> I forgot about y'all. It's a piece of wood you could put together, you know, like a, like a wishbone? A Y. A Y, yeah, like a Y. Tie a rubber band on both ends, put a little patch in the middle. I used to use uh, patches that you patch bicycle ties with. Well, y'all don't do that no more. <laughs> and pull it back. Take off like David. He killed a, kill a giant with it, so hey, figure I can kill a deer or something with it. Anyway, I missed. Went back home. I'm doing like this. After a while, the thing went off, and I heard something go, <laughs> I'm like, oh my God, oh my, my grandmother's cat. Oh, Jesus. So I go up, please don't be dead. Please. Oh, he's dead. Oh, Jesus, God. Lord have mercy. And I'm, I'm like, I'm like, I want to run back to Virginia now, you know, because my grandmother, I used to play with her cat all the time. I'd throw him up in the air. He'd land on his feet, I'd throw him up in the air. Land on his feet, I'm like, God. So I get tired, and she, and she used to catch me. She said, if you ever kill my cat, I'm going to kill you right away. And that's all I could think about. I said, oh, I'm dead now. So I picked the cat up. And I went in the barn, and I stuck him in my grandfather's wood stock. I figured by the time I get to Virginia, can't blame me. <laughs> I didn't do it. I was in Virginia. <laughs> you know, by the time they find out, it'll be all over. Yeah, I said. <laughs> went back to the house. Nobody saw me. Sitting down, eating dinner. Grandmother's, we finished dinner. Grandfather said, come on, I'm going to take you in RL fishing. Yeah, let's go, let's do it. Let's go fishing. My sister Beanie sitting down, she's looking at me like, if you know my sister Beanie, when she's looking at you like that, it's like, what did she see? You know, what did I do that I don't know she saw? And I'm like, what's wrong with you? She said, Grandmother, I think Anthony wants to wash the dishes. I said, no, I don't want to wash no, no, I'm not washing no dishes. She came to me, she said, remember the cat? I'm like, oh, Jesus, you've got to be kidding. Oh, my gosh, you do not want to be imprisoned under my sister, okay? She will wear you out okay, and make up something else to keep you in prison. And so I just got fed up. Four days went by, and I just had enough. And I ran to my grandmama, and I got on my knees. I said, Grandmama, you know, I had to do a little faking. 
because I know I was going to get a beat and I'd get killed. So I had to fake it. I faked, got on my knees and fake a little cro crocodile tear. My grandmama, my grandmama. What is it, Anthony? My grandma, my grandma. What is it, boy? I want I kill your cat. <laughs> and she said, you did what? I said, here it comes. She's going to tell me, go in the yard and get a switch. You know, I, I know millennials don't know about that part. <laughs> but in my days, your grandmother you know, sent you in the yard to get a switch. And if you got a little TV switch, they're going to get a big stick. Because that switch you got was too big, too little. That's what you could, you could get a spanking with that. And so I just knew that was going to happen. And she looked at me. She said, get up. I'm like, oh, this is going to be bad. She want me to get up. She's going to beat me standing up. Oh, Jesus. <laughs> and she said, give me a hug. I was like, oh, boy. Woo, she go, she go big hug me. OK. And she says, you know, I love you. And I'm like, this is going to be bad. I said, yeah, I know you love your grandmama. Trying to strain some more tears. She said, son, I forgive you already. I saw the whole thing through the kitchen window. <laughs> like, what? Jesus. I went through, you let me go through that? She said, well, yeah. She said, I just want to know how long you was going to let Beanie drag you through the mud. <laughs> oh, Jesus, have mercy. So what I'm telling you is that whatever is in your past, Whatever you've done wrong, you know, people are going to come and try to take you back. Remember when you used to be like this? Remember when you used to be like that? Well, God saw the whole thing through the window. He has forgiven you. You're forgiven. But what we need to do, you need to forgive yourself. You know? God says, if we confess our sins, he is faithful and what? Just to forgive us our sins and what? Cleanse us from all unrighteousness. So you have been forgiven. God just want to know when are you going to forgive yourself? You see, I know without a shadow of a doubt that forgiveness can heal you and grant you peace, a peace that passes all understanding because of healing me, healing my family every day. And not only is healing me, but it's healing the city of Charleston and the surrounding communities. So forgiveness heals. It gives you peace. And it heals. It's a spiritual, physical, and mental healing. You know, when you think about what Isaiah said about Jesus 500 years before he actually did it, he said, but by his stripes, what? We are healed. And then Jesus died, right? Right? Jesus came out of love unto his own people, right? And they rejected him. One of his disciples who he taught in love turned him over for what? 30 pieces of silver? People stood up in court, lied about him, right? Struck him in the face with their fists over and over again. They had no reason to hate him, but they what? Hated him anyway. They made a crown of thorns and pushed down his head till the blood, what, streamed down his face. They teased him and assaulted him, but he came out of love. Then they took strands of whip, weighed with lead balls and pieces of bone, and whipped him and whipped him and whipped him and whipped him till flesh was torn from his body, right? And after his scourging, he was what? Literally a dead man walking. Then they said, okay, that's not enough. We're going to hammer nails in your hands and in your feet. And then they said, you know what? We need to check to see if you're dead. We're going to stick a spear in your side. And that's what they did. The water and the blood ran down. Never sinned. Never. Died in what? Our place. Took what? Our pain, right? Boy, what? Our sufferings. 
Jesus hung and died on that cross out of love for you, me, Dylan, and anybody who has done you wrong. He did it for all of us. And then what did he say? He didn't hit him back. He didn't say, God's wrath is coming at you. He didn't send for 10,000 angels, say, kill them all. He prayed for you and for me, for Dylan, and for anybody who ever hurt you. He prayed for us all. He said, Father, forgive them, for they know not what they do. Can you do that? Hmm? Can you bless those who curse you, do good to those who hate you? Can you pray for those who mistreat you? Can you love your enemies? Can you love someone who uses and abuse you? Can you love the brother or sister who is gay or different than you are? Huh? Can you love somebody who's a different color, who speaks different, who dresses different? Can you love them? Somebody who abuses you, can you love them? If someone has done you wrong, if someone has done something that's caused you pain and suffering, don't try to get them back. Show them the love of God. Don't take revenge because it's going to make your life miserable. Show them the love of God. Forgive them because only forgiveness. You see, we try to get peace from all those things, anger, hate, taking revenge. We think it's going to be okay, but you're not going to get peace. You're only going to get it through forgiveness. Only. Only. It and forgiveness will heal a church, a family, and a nation just like that. It's healing our community in Charleston. Charleston, South Carolina, South Carolina. Woo, Jesus. You know, when you think about the Confederate flag, you think about South Carolina. When you think about slavery, you think about Charleston. And even in my time, I was, had to face racism, discrimination. That's Charleston. Charleston, very hospitable city, but we had an undertone of racism. But when that act of forgiveness was performed by the families, God intervened. No more. We came together like none other. Black, white, Mexican, Latino, Asian, Jew, Gentile, Muslim. We caressed each other, consoled each other, comforted each other. The city was swarming with people for days. You couldn't even drive downtown because everybody wanted to comfort or console somebody. They didn't look at color. They didn't look at the language. They didn't listen to it. They just wanted to be there to love you. And that's what we're doing right now. It's still going on today. You know? 15,000 people stood up from Emmanuel Church, hands across a two-and-a-half-mile bridge called the Ravenel Bridge into another city, praising God, asking him, what can we do to make this better? Forgiveness heals, and it unites, because that's what happened to our city, and that's what's going on in our city right now. The mayor, city council, mandated a resolution recognizing, acknowledging, and apologizing for Charleston's part in slavery. The mayor started an advisory council of three, 400 pastors, and the focus is on 
racial reconciliation, forgiveness, and repentance. State study now, talking about repentance and forgiveness, really? That's what we're doing. Just two months ago, the mayor of our city, Mayor Tecklenburg, started a new department. I don't think they have it nowhere in the United States. Maybe, I don't know. A new department called the Department of Racial Reconciliation. And we just hired a new director to head that office and start getting things together. That's what we're doing because of forgiveness. It's healing our city. It's uniting us. It's bringing us together. We're, we're no longer defining each other by the color of our skin. We're defining each other by the content of our character. No more. And so I'm going to ask you tonight, do you want the peace and love of God? Like I asked my church, did you hear me? <laughs> do you want the peace and love of God? Yes. yes. Well, you could have it right now. Yes. Because God doesn't hate you. He doesn't hate anybody. God loves you tonight, and he wants to release you from your burdens. If you're harboring bitterness, anger, grudge, and malice that is making your life miserable, God says, come, I want to heal you and give you the peace that I experience. Do you want that peace? Yeah. Then we got to go to God, y'all. We have to go to him first and ask him to what? Forgive us. We all sinners, right? We do share that, don't we? But before God can forgive you, you have to first give your life to his son, right? And I'm sure a lot of Christians are in here, but maybe, just maybe somebody hasn't done that yet. This is a good time. Because God wants to forgive you. God wants to rid you of your bitterness, your anger, your hate, your malice. God just wants to take your burden that you're carrying our burdens that you carry. And God says the only way he can do that is you come to him. Come unto me, all ye that labor, he says, and are heavy laden, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you, learn of me, for I am meek and lowly in heart, and ye shall find rest unto your souls. You'll find it tonight. You'll find the love and peace of God tonight if you just come and give your life to Christ right now. And don't be scared. Don't be scared. Hey, Everyone who's a Christian in here had to do the same thing that you may have to do tonight. But this is between you and God. You know? Reminds me of my dad, no shame Thompson. No matter what you say about him, he's like, that's your problem. <laughs> so no matter what you think people may be saying or looking at you for coming up here giving your life to Christ, that's their problem. You want to get rid of yours. Come on. Come on. I believe we have prayer. People in here, people of prayer who can help you with that. Just come on up front. If you want to give your life to Christ, give it to him now. If you want him to forgive you, to release you, it can happen right now. And for those of you who have given your life to Christ, you're not off the hook. <laughs> okay? Maybe you've done something wrong. Maybe you're harboring hate. Maybe you're harboring anger. Maybe you about want to get somebody back to take revenge. Or maybe there's just somebody who you need to go to and ask them to forgive you. And in order to do that, you've got to ask God to forgive you too. You've got to rededicate your life to the Lord. And you start that off the same way you start off anything when it comes to the Lord, admitting who you are and then asking him to forgive you. So you can do that too, you know. 
And if you don't want to come forward, we can do it. You can do it at your seat. That's okay. You know, you can do it right there at your seat. If you're ready to come to Jesus, you can stand up where you are. Come and receive that peace, that peace that passes all understanding. And I'm going to go through, I'm going to take you through it, okay? This is the prayer. Dear Lord Jesus. Dear Lord Jesus, I know that I am a sinner. Please forgive me. I believe that you died on the cross for my sins, and I want to turn from my sins. I invite you, Lord Jesus. Come on, y'all. Say it. I invite you to come into my heart, come into my life. Right now, Lord, release me from my pain and suffering. Release me from my burden. I accept you as my Lord and Savior. I want to trust and follow you. In Jesus' name, amen.